0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 1 with me. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope. I'm going to ask for a little grace again this week. I still have this lingering cough um, that I just can't shake. I've been to the doctor. The doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you. And I said, I beg to differ, Um, but she didn't care what I had to say about that. So um, remember the rule of thumb around here is if I have a coughing fit and pass out, CPR is not allowed. If you give me CPR, if I wake up, I'll hit you. If I don't, I will haunt you. All right, so none of that here, but I just appreciate a little grace in that if I start coughing. Uh, We're in this series called The Genius of Jesus, where we're looking at the gospel through the lens of the book of Romans, seeing how Paul had written to this church he'd never been to. He knew very few people at that church, and now Paul is writing this letter to them to ensure that they understand the gospel that Paul preaches. And so I'm going to invite you in Romans chapter 1, if you'll stand with me. In honor of reading God's Word, we're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to read down through verse 23. And God's Word says this through the Apostle Paul. It says, for, for though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, in verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Let's pray. God, we pray now as we journey through these few verses in Scripture. God, would your Spirit teach us this morning? Lord, as we said last week, it's a heavy topic to look at the wrath of God and humanity's sin. But God, we also understand that we we need to understand these things, Lord, because we know that all Scripture is inspired by you. So, God, would you give us open ears to hear from you this morning? God, would you give us soft hearts, not to just hear, Lord, but to receive your word? And, Lord, we also pray for willing hands and feet, Lord, for for willing hands and feet to walk in obedience to the gospel, Lord. May we be an urgent people knowing that lost people need Jesus, and you've commissioned us and tasked us to take the gospel to anyone, everywhere, so that everybody can know about Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You might remember our question from last week. It was pretty simple. I have good news and I have bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? We learned this is a a bad news church. Tell me the bad news first so that the good news can lift me back up. And what we've been doing in Romans now in week number six, we're going to be spending the next uh, four weeks, so last week, this week, and two weeks following this, looking at the bad news of our sin and the bad news of God's wrath against our sin. And we started that descent into this journey last week where Paul, as I said a moment ago, he's giving this extensive explanation to the church in Rome of the gospel. But to fully understand the gospel, we have to start with the bad news. And we addressed it last week. Why start with the bad news? Why can't we start with the good news? Well, it's because of this. The good news of the gospel is only good news when we understand the bad news first. The good news of the gospel, in order for it to have its full effect, we have to hear the bad news first. And we said in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 that God's wrath has been revealed against sinners. As, we, as I a you, aren't you glad you came to church today? Wrath of God, sin, we're terrible people. Hopefully this encourages you to the best of my ability. Right, God is righteous, Pastor Joe preached in verse 17 two weeks ago. Therefore, God can't be in the presence of sin we used that three-word phrase the past couple weeks, God hates sin. Therefore, when our God judges sin, it's right for him to do so. It's not a reactionary thing that God does in response to sin. Rather, God's judgment, his righteous judgment against sin flows from his character. But then we saw in verse 20 <clears throat> last week that not only that, not as only is God revealing his righteous judgment against sin, But God has also revealed himself in creation. And he's revealed himself in creation, verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, so that you and I can know him. Our God is not hidden. we on the same page with that. We call this the general revelation of God. Our God is not hidden. His creation is screaming that he exists. And since both of those things are true... Paul closes our discussion last week in verse 20, the last few words, with what I believe to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Let me read this for us again, the last few words of verse 20. He says, as a result, because God's righteous judgment has been revealed against sin, because God can be known, Paul says, people are without excuse. Paul Paul reminds us that humans know there is a God innately inside of us. Paul says later in Romans, that eternity is written on our hearts We know that there is a God. You can't deny that truth. Yet here's what humans do. We willfully deny that truth. We willfully choose to turn away from God. As Paul said in verse 19, we suppress the truth of God, and rather than run to Him, human beings, our nature is to run from Him. And just when we thought the bad news couldn't get any worse, it's like we're going to continue to plunge into this deep pit where the bottom just gets further and further away. You guys ever had one of those dreams before where you're falling? Anybody? Raise your hand. Falling dream? Those are the worst. But you ever notice in a falling dream that the bottom, like you never find the bottom, the bottom just keeps moving the longer that you keep falling. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening here in Romans chapter 1. It's like Paul is just taking us down in this descent of our sin and God's wrath, and it's just further and further plunging into this pit. But remember this simple truth. The bad news shows us the necessity of the good news, the necessity of the gospel. And so as we continue this descent, Paul's going to show us our sin a little bit more and how dangerous it has become. So let's look at verse 21, two points today. Remember, good news is on the horizon. We're going to get there soon. But point number one, Paul starts with humanity's continued descent into darkness. Their continued descent into darkness. Let's again review a little bit. Paul builds verse 21 off of verse 20. That simple phrase, let me remind us, if you haven't circled this in your Bible, I want you to do it right now. Those last few words of verse 20, people are without excuse. Why? Because our God's not hidden. He can be known. I just said that a moment ago. We go again to verse 20. Let me read the very first part to review this real quick. Paul says, for God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, you ready for this? Have been clearly seen, Clearly seen, circle those words, underline them, highlight them, draw arrows to them. God can be clearly seen in his creation. It's the general revelation of God. Meaning that I can walk outside, I can look up at the sky, I can examine a tree, I can look around at God's creation and know that there is a God. And that's enough knowledge of God that enables me to seek him. Now, make the distinction there. Let's make sure again we, we understand this. That's the general revelation of God. That's enough to have knowledge of him. But that is not the intimate knowledge that we get of God through scriptures, knowing about the saving work of Jesus. That's called the special revelation of God, if you remember that from last week. But this general revelation, this creative thing that God has made that screams, it's just creation. God's going, I'm here. I'm here. And I want you to know me. I want you to seek me. We said last week that God has written two books to humanity. Y'all remember this? Book number one was creation. Book number two was scripture. And we're held accountable for both of those. That's such an important thing for us to know. Nobody's going to arrive at judgment and be able to say that God hid himself from them. It's just not possible. But look at verse 21, the first five words. For though they knew God, so he's reiterating verse 20 for us. He says they didn't glorify him. They didn't show gratitude to him. Instead, their thinking has become worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Because our God can be known, but the nature of our sin is what? That rather than pursue a God that can be known, Paul reminds us that we run from that God. I mean, verse 21, look at those words. They, they didn't glorify that God. It was you and me. And we didn't show gratitude to him. Here's a simple phrase. If you're a note taker, I would write something similar to this down. Our knowledge of God should result in us glorifying and showing him gratitude. I mean, that's just the simple response to knowing that there's a God. We want to glorify him and we should want to show him gratitude. Because when you get a glimpse of the creator of the universe, it should drive you to worship and thankfulness. I mean, how so? Let me give you a quick example. God, you've created all this. There's glory. God, you've created all this. There's glory in order that I could know you. That's gratitude. Yet we don't do that. We don't do that as sinners. We, we start to, to just create other ways of how this all came to be. Instead of God, you've created all of this. Thank you. Paul says humanity is as the exact opposite. Instead of glorifying God, verse 21, and showing gratitude, he uses that little word there, instead, rather than. No, this is what you actually choose to do. Rather than run to God, what do we do? The condition of the human heart causes us to run from God. It leaves a gap, a void inside of us. Augustine put it this way. It's this God-shaped vacuum, this God-shaped hole that's in the heart of every human being. Did you know, gosh, this is so important, that we were not meant to function apart from our creator? God did not create human beings to function apart from him. Because when we do, it only spirals us into chaos. Look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked in the cool breeze with the Lord. Yet when they chose to sin against God and ask the Spirit of God to exit their lives, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, what happened to humanity? Utter chaos resulted. Why? Because we were not created to function apart from our Creator. And, and Paul gives us two phrases here in verse 21 about the human condition apart from God. The first is this. These are so, man, we're going to see these are so culturally relevant today. He says first that our thinking becomes worthless, that when we try to live life apart from our creator, separate from him, that our thinking becomes worthless. What does that mean? It's men and women who, rather than being content, it's an important word, and giving their creator the worship that he deserves, we run to empty thinking. The the phrase there in the Greek means to um, be distracted by empty speculations and empty theories. You ready? Ready? It's thinking that things that are utter nonsense are wise. Do we see it today? Thinking things that are utter nonsense are absolutely wise. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.18. He says that they're darkened in their understanding. It's like walking around in the dark and claiming you can see everything. We've all been in a room like that. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. But imagine being in that state and trying to tell people what the room looks like. And how it functions. It doesn't make any sense. You can't function apart from your creator. Paul says, apart from God, you, you can't think rightly. Your mind is going to be consumed with nonsense. Consumed with ideas that are utterly senseless. What God defines as sin, we begin to define as normal. What God defines as sin, we begin to say, no, that's okay. And Paul says, no, that's not what's happening. Your thinking is worthless and it's senseless and it's foolish. But it's the natural result of being separated from God. Do you understand that? What else do we expect when human beings are apart from their creator other than them to think foolishly? Then Paul goes on to say, he says, when we run from God, our hearts are darkened. That's actually a Greek phrase that refers to that vacuum that's created. Do you know when a vacuum is formed, it must be filled? If, a human, if the human heart has a vacuum inside of it, it's an empty space, and it must be filled. And it was reserved for our creator, but now it's left empty. And so what do we do? We try to fill it with other things, because your heart craves worship. My heart craves worship. And that space in my heart is reserved to worship something. And if I tell the creator to exit, something else will fill it. Something else will fill my heart and I will worship that thing. Why? Because I wasn't meant to function apart from my creator. There's a God-shaped hole inside of my heart. You can't put the square peg in the round hole. It'll never work. You may get it to fit slightly, but there'll still be gaps. You can only be fully satisfied in Jesus and fully satisfied in your creator. Anything else is insufficient. Y'all, when we reject God, this is as much us as it is the Romans here. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see these things. We shouldn't be surprised when this is in our culture. We look around the world today. Christian, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. It's broken. Things are broken. Worthless thinking, senseless thinking runs abound. Darkened hearts control many things in our culture. Do not be surprised. Self-worship and worthless thinking have saturated our world. Why? Because people rejected God. People rejected God. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. The floor keeps falling. Now, Paul says, not only is this occurring, but there's a justification of the sinful condition. So now it's this descent into foolishness. I mean, what's he go on to say here in verse 22 and 23? He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. This verse is fascinating and terrifying at the exact same time because verse 21 left us in this condition of worthless thinking and self-worship, total disregard apart from God. But what's fascinating to me now is in verse 22, the justification that occurs. I mean, literally what's going on in verse 22 is apart from God, what we see is that we will justify wickedness and we will justify sinfulness as okay. And we'll do it under this umbrella of we've been enlightened somehow. We have more wisdom than what we used to have. We've evolved as the human race. But Paul says, no, no, no. In verse 18, the only reason this is happening is because you've suppressed the truth. You've destroyed God's Word. You've distorted God's Word. And you've denied God's Word. And as a result, rather than making God's Word the source of truth, you've made yourself the source of truth. Aaron came to preach, I think, this morning. We've made ourselves the source of truth and justifying it as wisdom And in return, we justified nonsense. Listen, friends, we can make it sound wise, but it is foolishness. It is utter foolishness. I don't mean to be crude this morning, but I think when the word of God is so clear, we need to make sure we're on the same page. That word fool in your Bible, I want you to circle that. That is the Greek word where we get the English word moron. Isn't that wild? Let's read that again. Claiming to be wise, they became morons, foolish, senseless. And friends, I talked with Pastor Joe about this this morning. This is so important for us to understand right now, because this is occurring in our culture, in our back doors, in our schools, on the programs that we watch. And it never hit me until Friday night. It's coming after our kids I'm not trying to be the old school preacher that's going to get up here and condemn stuff and then just walk out of here acting like this is nothing. This is important biblical truth for us to understand this morning. My family on Friday night, I'm not going to say which one it was, we tried to watch a movie with our kids that came on one of the streaming services. Had to turn it off within 10 minutes. Because in 10 minutes it was blatant, wasn't hidden anymore. They're coming after our kids. They're trying to indoctrinate your children to what is foolish as wisdom. And they don't want you to see it. They're not hiding it anymore. It's blatant. But this time they're trying to hide it. <sighs> Anyways, goodness. It's coming after our kids. Human sexuality, gender, issues of life, human worth. We could go down the list. It goes on and on and on. But here's the first thing that I would tell you. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a parent in this room, you need to be tuned into this. Do not be surprised. We now live in a day and age and a time and a season and a cultural moment where foolishness is masqueraded as Wisdom. Don't fall for it. Do not fall for it. But do not be surprised when culture pushes back on biblical truth. Do not be surprised when you stand up for things, biblical values, things that the word of God is abundantly clear on, when the culture presses back against you and says that you're a bigot and you're a hypocrite and you don't know what you're talking about. Paul told us in verse 18, lost people are just suppressing the truth destroying, distorting, and denying the word of God, claiming that which is foolish as wisdom. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised when they masqueraded under the umbrella of wisdom and evolution as human beings and we've become further than we used to be. No, it's going to happen. But here's the second thing we need to understand here before we get to verse 21. Don't you dare give up ground and make the decisions you have to make in order to protect your kids and protect your family. Y'all, we need Christians who stand for truth. We can't lose another generation because we decided to roll over and refuse to dig our feet into the ground. God said it, that settles it. Remember my pastor used to say that. Remember what the old preachers used to say? Thus saith the Lord. All right? God said it. Be sheep among wolves. Jesus told us it would happen. Remember he tells his disciples, I send you out like sheep among wolves. We should not be surprised. It's only going to get worse when we try to stand for truth when the wolves come attacking. Be careful. It's going to happen. What does the Proverbs talk about? What does James talk about? Make sure that we're, we're talking with wisdom, that we're talking wise words as we approach these things. Let's not talk from a position of ignorance. Let's talk from a position of clarity, making sure that we know what we're talking about and what the Word of God says. Be a person of the book. So that when we have to stand up against things in the culture, foolishness that's masquerading as wisdom, that we stand on the authority of God's word. I don't care what science says. I don't care what psychology says. I care what the word of God says. Be a person of the book. Last point. Let's make sure that we're humble. We don't need Christians that are jerks. You know that being a jerk is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) I need to be reminded of that sometimes. No, spiritual gifts are things like gentleness and self-control. Self-control. And let's be sure that when we approach these topics and we talk about these things, that we do it from a posture of Jesus coming out of us, of gentleness and self-control. It doesn't mean we back down. It means we're still firm. Meekness, as we've heard this before, is not weakness. It's controlled strength. We come from a position of strength because we believe that the Word of God is true. As Martin Luther said, unchain the Word of God. It'll stand on its own. You don't need to defend it. You just proclaim it. The Word of God will stand on its own. Paul closes in verse 23, very practically, talking about the idolatry that had overtaken Rome. What's going on here? He says they have these gods. I mean, look at what's going on here. They they said, God, get out of here. We're going to worship other stuff, the stuff we can come up with. What were they? Mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, stuff that we don't often see anymore. We have our own idols we've exchanged for worship I won't forget, several weeks ago, I told you this when Pastor Joe came to me and we were talking about this verse. He said, Just imagine that you go outside, you see the Creator and what everything that He's done around you. And rather than giving Him the glory and gratitude that He deserves, what humans do is we say, Nope. And these guys in Rome were then fashioning out of wood and stone and whatever it was, these these creatures, these animals, these birds, these reptiles. And they would build this thing and then they would step back and they would worship that thing that they just created exchanging the the creator for this created, giving the worship that the creator deserves, giving my worship to this thing I've created. It's just another form of self-worship. And it's dangerous, Paul says. In Rome, any and every idol that you could possibly imagine, worship what you want, when you want, how you want. But what does Paul remind us? Any worship, whether it's self or these things, that's not given to God is foolishness. Because something always has your heart, and you're always worshiping something. And the only one deserving of my worship is God. To give anything else my worship is foolishness. And so I want to close with this kind of a couple of thoughts here. We're going to continue this descent into darkness over these next couple of weeks as we, before we get into the, the good news that is the gospel. And this floor is going to continue to get lower and lower and lower. But I want us to remember that there's hope in the gospel There's good news on the horizon. I want us to remember, Christian, we shouldn't be surprised with what's going on culturally around us. Remember, don't compromise in those things, but also remember this, that we serve a Jesus that can take the darkest, most foolish heart and transform it and make it into a new creation based on 2 Corinthians 5.21. That our God can take the murderer and make him an evangelist. Remember that story, Apostle Paul? Our God can take the most foolish, darkened heart and transform it for His glory because He's the one that forgives sins and creates new creations. But here's the other temptation, and I'll close with this simple story. The other temptation is this, and I, I tend to do this. I, I look at what's coming after my kids, and as a dad, I get incredibly defensive. And I just want to go and choke slam some people. I had to grab Pastor Joe and John about a month and a half ago because of a situation that occurred with one of my kids. Someone coming after one of my kids, and I we were about to throw down. You're probably gonna th- you have to bail us out of jail if things didn't calm down. It just got wild. But I'm reminded that sometimes in the midst of hopelessness, that I can let the hopelessness creep into my soul. Right? I see everything decaying around me, and I can just get hopeless. And I think, Lord, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, there's no point in trying anymore. I'm just going to create my own little homestead at my house. I'm never going to leave. We're never going to turn on the TV. We're never going to turn on the radio. We're just going to live in our home. We're going to eat peanut butter and jelly and raise cows in the backyard of our neighborhood. You know, We get hopeless. I was reminded of a story this week, and I've always been fascinated with this story. It was about some scientists, and this is a true story. I'm going to get the times wrong, but they had these two big vats of water. Maybe you've heard this before. And they would take these mice, they took that first vat of water, and they'd put a mouse in that water, real deep. The mouse had to sit there and tread water and swim. And they said after a certain length of time, I want to say it was maybe 30 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer, that after they put that mouse in the water that the mouse would get exhausted from swimming and tread in the water for so long that eventually it would give up and it would just drown, would die. But then they did a different experiment. They took that ma- different mouse, the first one was dead, and they put it in that vat of water. They let it tread water for just a little bit shorter than that first mouse died. Then the scientist, right when it was about to give up, picked it up out of the water. <coughs> Kept it out for just a few minutes, put it back in. You know what that mouse continued to do? Tread water. And for a mouse initially that died within 30 minutes, they said that if you occasionally pulled that mouse out of the water and then quickly put it back in, that they could tread water for hours and hours. Why? Because they had hope. That mouse all of a sudden had hope that if they just held on a little bit longer that they'd get scooped up out of the water and they'd be rescued. Can I remind us? Gosh, let me just rem- We have hope as followers of Jesus. Peter said that we are resident aliens in this world, sojourners. We are simply passing through. This is not our home. What did Billy Graham say before he passed away? Someday you're going to hear that Billy Graham died, but he said, oh, no, I'm more alive than I've ever been. I wasn't made for this world. He also put it this way. He said, when I died, I didn't leave this earth. I simply changed my address. When we leave or go in someplace better, don't let hopelessness creep into your heart. Heaven awaits the follower of Jesus. But also remember that we've been left here as ambassadors of a greater kingdom. And although we see decay around us and we need to speak truth into all of this, it's our job, our role as Christians. Let's not forget that one of our main tasks is to make take as many people with us as we can. Let's be about the gospel business. Let's be about truth proclamation. Let's trust Jesus for the results. Let's not be a hopeless people. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for your word for this day. <clears throat> God, even in the midst of hard truth and challenging truth, God, may you give us a deeper and more firm resolve to stand for what's right. God, not just in the confines of these four walls, but would you give us the courage to make the right decisions and to have the right conversations in our Monday through Saturdays as well. May we be a people that are about the truth and that are for the truth in a culture that wants to suppress the truth. God, may you make us a gospel-proclaiming people. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these few moments we've had together as your church. I pray now as we sing, giving you the glory as we saw, Lord, the glory that only you deserve. But God, it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven. We love you so much, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.